Hello everyone and welcome to Flawless, a music podcast. My name is Liam and I'm joined by my two co-hosts, George. Hello there. And Grant. Hi. Each episode, one of the hosts or a guest nominates an album that they think is flawless and we talk about why they love it, how they discovered it and why they think it's flawless. As always, we have a Patreon. You can back us from as little as $1 a month and there's content bonuses at $5 and $10 a month. You can find us at patreon.com slash flawlessamp. And we're also very proud to announce that we've also joined the Play On Radio Network. Hey! So you, have we? We have. Oh my goodness. It started a week ago or whenever this comes out. So yeah, you can catch us on Play On Radio on Monday afternoons at 5pm Eastern Daylight Savings Time alongside great podcasts like the Australian Music Diary. There's some awesome podcasts on there, so check us out on there. Uh, playonradio.live is the website for that one. So today we have a guest. Would you like to introduce yourself? G'day. That, that was terrible. <laughs> Uh, hi, my name is Jody. I play in a Brisbane band called Flange Pennies, um, and I also do solo stuff by the name of Jody Flange uh, because it's easier to say and spell than Lawler. <laughs> there we go. Good effort. <laughs> cool. And you've nominated an album for us to talk about today. Would you like to tell us what album it is you've nominated? So I picked Queen, A Night at the Opera. because I've been it was the reason I learned how to use a record player when I was about three years old nice. um, Wow! so yeah my dad trusted me with his favorite record it was a, it wow. was a really um, uh, you know it was a really really nice moment where my dad trusted me to do a thing um, and he never had to rebuy the record either <laughs> as far as I'm aware so that's sure. nice fantastic that's awesome yeah. well done because this, this selection, I guess, I mean, everybody listens to lots of different types of music, but knowing what kind of music you play, this selection was a bit of out of left field for you, I thought. When you oh, know, really? I was like, oh, this is, I was excited like, in a pleasant way, but yeah. Yeah, so there's a handful of things. Um, so, uh, so my band is a punk rock band, so uh, we just sort of, I just play guitar pretty sloppily and go rah-rah and we just play as fast as we can. So that's, that's a fair comment. Um, but no, so I actually was born in a city called Mount Isa. It's a mining town in the northwest of Queensland. And so, uh, you know, uh, full disclosure, I'm 34 um, or 35 when this comes out. I'm <laughs> not sure. Um, so there wasn't really a whole lot, you know, there's no internet out in the northwest of Queensland in the 80s. You, we had two TV channels. I think by the time I left there were four um, and just a handful of, of um, radio channels and, you know, there was a CD store in the shops uh, which we would go to because it was so hot and we couldn't afford aircon. So <laughs> that wasn't uncommon because, uh, you know, I'm not sure um, if you've ever been out to northwest Queensland but... It's quite hot out there. Brutal. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, um, but, yeah, it was good. So fairly limiting with what you can actually sort of listen to when you grow up. So I think I had a top 40 uh, and there was an AM classical station, mm -hmm. maybe a couple of other AM stations that might not have even been in English. But, um, and, yeah, and whatever my parents played. So yeah. this is one of the very, very first albums that I was uh, exposed to that made me fall in love with music. And one of the things that made me fall in love with music and this album was the passion that my parents had for it. Mm -hmm. I say parents, really just my dad. My mum yeah. was into Barbra Streisand and Alice Cooper, weirdly enough. What are the sort of other albums that were hanging around um, your home? So Kevin Bloody Wilson. Of course. They used to listen to a little bit of Rodney Roode. I kind of chimed out at that one. It was a little well, bit yeah, racist. Yeah, let's about that. Sure. Let's yeah. about that yeah, no, yeah. I'm not, I was never a fan of Rodney Roode, <laughs> but uh, there were a couple of Kevin Buddy Wilson songs that were pretty good. Yeah. Um, what else is there? Skyhooks. I was thinking yep. about um, Skyhooks living in the 70s. Is that an Aussie band? Yeah. That is an Aussie Very band, big yeah. Aussie band. Okay. Yeah. 80s, yep. Um, he I know was... none of the Aussie <laughs> bands. Okay. <laughs> just so, um, so obviously ACDC. Yeah. Kiss, a lot of Kiss. A lot of overseas artists as well. I think there was some John Paul Young. 
young. Okay, um, yeah, of course. You know, just just you know, seventies rock and roll stuff. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, this one was definitely played a lot, and I I remember it because it stood out so much from everything sure. else, and it was so uh, kind of otherworldly to anything else that I'd ever been exposed to in that little country town. Oh, it's definitely. probably about forty thousand people, so not too little. I think it's probably otherworldly for most people. Like it's definitely one oh, yeah. of these that grabs you straight away is like the the courage and the vision of putting an album together like this in the 70s when there'd be so much pressure on you to just be a straight up rock band. I mean, Queen were obviously never into that at all. But yeah, to just have that determination, it's like, no, no, we've we've got a vision of what this album's going to be like and that's how it's going to go. And yeah. it was the most expensive most, at yeah. the time, most expensive album ever released. Yeah. 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 You, and I got the equivalent of about $750,000 yeah. Australian. Now. Now. No. Yeah. Imagine spending nearly but, like three-quart mil on an yeah. album. But then you create this album. So you're yeah. like, yeah. It's, no. a, <laughs> yeah, it's a it. lot cheaper to record now as well. So you could yeah. probably do the same thing now on 100 grand yeah but it was yeah. forty thousand well, pounds back in the day yeah to yeah. record it because they had to get special equipment to do all the vocal harmony sure. yeah, yeah yeah so, so this was it was the that. edge of of what Cutting technology could do yeah. to yeah. make this so yeah, like definitely. obviously right now if you want to do looping vocals you would just record two vocals and use a computer on, on top phone. of each other yeah like i can Whereas, use Gary yeah, they, there were stories of like yeah when they're recording particularly profit song which we'll get to later that they would do it and they would take a piece of tape and then they go, oh, I could put another line in here. So they'd have to put another piece of tape on top of that. And they were running out of the, they were running they... down the piece of tape at the bottom. So they'd have to redo and transfers and stuff like that. So, yeah. And didn't they use tape on those songs? Yeah. <laughs> my goodness. Like we used to have a tape, a four track tape recorder in my yeah. house when I was a kid. So I remember like looping and I remember cutting, slicing tape and slicing it together to, in order to drop, do dropouts and stuff like that. When if I play guitar into it and I did a bum note, I had to literally physically cut a piece of tape with yeah. that bum note, re-record the good note and like tape it back in again. Like that was my childhood of right. like recording music like back in and we're the same age by the way 34 okay so go, go us um so yeah like that's my childhood we just have to have this old school four track so i can't even imagine i've seen the machines that they used at the time to record this yeah. album and it's just like a wall of like tape recorders yeah. yeah just crazy it's epic so a night of the opera is the fourth studio album by queen british rock band queen uh released on the 21st of november 1975 by emi and Electra Records in the US, and it was produced by Roy Thomas Baker. And the title is taken from the Marx Brothers film of the same name, which I yes. thought was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Are you going to do charts and stuff? I am going to do charts and stuff. Upon release, the album topped the UK album chart for four non-consecutive weeks. Because I've always found like the I UK... It was consecutive, yeah. <laughs> we, we're quite... Have you heard about Brexit? Like, we can't commit <laughs> yeah. to anything. <laughs> I always found that like when I was looking at UK chart stuff when I was coming into music is like stuff seemed to stay at number one for way less time in the UK. Like it would go up and then like a week later it would just dip out. So uh, it peaked at number four on the US Billboard 200 chart, became the band's first platinum selling album in the US. Yes. Worldwide sales are over 6 million copies. Produced the band's most successful single in the UK, Bohemian Rhapsody, which became their first UK number one. And in 2018, the album was put into the Grammy Hall of Fame. And did you know that it got double platinum in Poland? I didn't. Niche, right? (laughs) Of all the things. like It went platinum in Argentina, um, but went double platinum in Poland and platinum in the UK and triple platinum or whatever in the US. Um, But it also went gold in Italy, Austria, Austria and Finland, <laughs> like what niche just countries? Sold yeah, yeah. Well, I got it really was, excited it about that. Makes sense because it's new, it's different, and it's probably something that those countries that you know aren't super just drilled with the same top forty bullshit yeah. are, are a little bit more open to. Definitely. Mm. So, George. Hello. We'll skip past. Have you heard of Queen? And go go, go right to. Had you heard this album before? Have I heard this album before? Well, as we have learned from previous episodes, my family had a wall of vinyl, and this was definitely one of the vinyl. Right. And like our guest Jody here, I was only allowed to play certain records. Um, So mine were largely Billy Joel. That we had a lot of Billy Joel, <laughs> uh, which I've replicated in my current collection. Um, but uh, this was one of the albums that we played. And I, 
this and an ELO record, I actually took the um, cover, the, the actual vinyl cover, and stuck it on my wall with blue tack and left the vinyl in a different, like in a plain sleeve in the vinyl collection because I really love the cover art so much. So I opened it all up and put the cover art on my wall as a weird, like eight year old child <laughs> with vinyl covers stuck to, like there was an ELO record where it looked like the whole galaxy. So, and it opened up into five pieces, like or nearly like a cube. So um, you could, I just stuck it up on the wall and this was another one because I thought it was so just so pretty so yes cool i've heard the heard the album and i've also defaced the vinyl <laughs> cover <laughs> grant i hadn't hadn't heard the album hadn't heard the album mm-hmm. so um my have you heard any queen albums in full yeah well that's a good question in <laughs> full um i've i do remember um it's a kind of magic mm-hmm. um the highlander song my 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 dad got that from my mom when that came out, which had been a couple of years after this one. Yep. Um, and the two in the early nineties, we you know compact discs were all the rage. So the the original, I mean, the, Queen was so big they had two best of albums, and yes. I was like, these guys are serious <laughs> artists. <laughs> I mean, they've got enough you know music to put on for best of for two discs. So um, I probably actually listened to the second best of. Um, volume two or whatever first um, in in a lot of depth because that was the, the, the most recent release on, on compact discs yeah and then my folks got the um, would have got the the earlier um, original from I don't know whenever this was the late 70s or late 80s mm-hmm. but not I never listened to this in full I thought it was live at the opera would have been a live that's yeah that's because when tracks. you nominated I was like oh <laughs> to be honest Australia, we don't do live albums here but then I had to look it up I wish you'd said yeah. it I would have drilled you I would have given you so just much man, grief mansplaining uh, <laughs> queen albums to people Ooh, I have a yeah. music podcast and I don't want live at the opera here <laughs> <laughs> But the, it's not it's not love at the opera, so it's actually yes. a fib, you know. Yeah. I mean, like that's the thing. It's not a fib, but it makes you feel like you're title. at the opera. It makes you feel like you're at the opera. Look, it's I hate to tell you, but it's not the queen either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still struggling with that part. Okay. Yeah. Despite the final track, it yeah. is not the yeah. queen. Yeah. True story. So there was. Also, do you want to talk about who's in the band? Yes. Um, except, did I write that down? Of course I wrote that down. So, the band is, of course, Freddie Mercury on lead vocals and some backing vocals and some piano. Backing vocals because he loops himself and does lots of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Brian May on electric guitar on pretty much everything except track seven, which is Seaside Rendezvous. Uh, Roger Taylor on drums all the way through. Uh, <clears throat> Brian May also plays a Japanese koto he harp does, and ukulele he does play and does some backing things. vocals. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, he'd still play it he on. He plays a whole bunch of yeah. mad, <laughs> punk, punk stuff. Well, I mean. <laughs> Roger no. Taylor on drums, backing vocals, percussion, lead vocals, and electric guitar on track three, I'm in love with my car. And John Deacon, John Deacon. bass guitar, electric piano, and double bass. I oh, fucking love that double bass. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know I'm a sucker for a cello or a double bass, right? Uh. I can never remember John Deacon's name, full disclosure. I, and yeah. I was trying to... <laughs> I actively didn't look it up yeah. to see if it would come to me t- before this moment. And it definitely, I, I was thinking like Jimmy, Ron. <laughs> Generic man yeah, name. Glenn. Glenn. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So he wrote, you're my best friend. favorite queen songs yeah it's a better and it was their second single yes only so, two singles because he was playing because singles. he was playing around with an organ and teaching himself how to play organ on the side from playing drums and then came up with that and yeah brought, so that's i love you're my best friend i think it's so pure and beautiful and lovely the it's synthy awesome. piano yeah. sound and then yeah. it's so warm and sunny and yeah. lovely so i hadn't i hadn't Aww. heard this album i haven't heard hadn't heard any queen albums in full i knew all the best of in all the hit singles yeah, and that sort of okay, stuff, like me. but never heard a full album before and yeah 
So I couldn't have told you that you're my best friend or Bohemian Rhapsody was on this album if you'd asked me. But yeah, yeah there's no way. You wouldn't have known. Sacrilege. Yeah, for sure. But when I saw her, I was like, oh, that's cool because those are two of my favorites. And you're my best friend is, yeah, one of the best. I really liked it. Cool. So um, why? Like, is there particular things around this album other than the fact it was very emotional, like growing up, etc.? Listening back to it again now with your fresh eyes ears um fresh <laughs> ears um do you still feel the same passion towards the, the album look i have to be completely honest with the fact that it is a nostalgic album for me sure. but it was still the very very first album that came to mind as soon as someone said bring an album that you think is flawless mm-hmm. it just jumped straight cool. ahead of everything nice. else makes and sense it's it's strange that you ask, you know, listening to it with fresh ears because my ears have never been not fresh to this album. I <laughs> still listen to it, and but I and I guess that's another nostalgia thing, and why I've got such a connection to it is that um, I do listen to it every Christmas day when I'm with my family. It's kind of a tradition, you know what I mean. So I do listen to it at least once a year, if not more, if I get to see my parents. Um, or family bef- before then, so nice. so I don't really have fresh ears for this <laughs> yeah. album, and I don't think oh that God, I ever that's will. So cute, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, Can so, I come to yours for Christmas? Oh yeah, absolutely. They've got a pool now <laughs> in Manaza. <laughs> I'm going to ignore no, my family. They, um, Screw them. They're in Casino now. Right. Okay. <laughs> so not As too in much of a New change. South Wales done. Yeah, yeah. So it's only about three, four hours away, depending on so if you get lost. There was someone murdered. Wasn't that where that girl that yeah. Took someone out. Um, there was a man murdered, and that was my step family's relative. Really? Yeah. Whoa! Yeah, we was, go. Um, it was like the this one took that a was dark in the court. Yeah, well, Force, yeah. Has, oh. been, force oh, has became a true crime podcast. Oh my god! True crime is like the best. Crazy ass. So. Um, so, oh my god, you were literally related. If it's the same one, if it's the same Choppery. one. But, um, Apparently, oh, Choppery it's, no, it's took not, someone good... else out there. Oh, oh, no, there's there's a lot of, you know, there's more than just Choppery's deaths out there. But anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> potentially a scary place, um, Casino. Uh, but not at your family I'm, home. I'm imagining you play... it's a sleepy town, but now you're mm-hmm. turning into mm-hmm. essentially a whodunit crime village <laughs> from like some well, British Well, it's going from just being choppery to a whole lot more. I didn't add a whole lot more. <laughs> I thought there was one. Oh, wow. Let's be clear. Oh, look. Um, no, but it's, it is still it is a bit of a sleepy town, but it is a town where occasionally you'll still hear this album ringing out um, across the, the barren lands of nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. That's glorious um, to hear. So, yeah. So, unfortunately, I don't have fresh ears. So I can't offer that. Um, and listening to it again, I didn't really need to, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. It just I sort of knew everything. I knew it all. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really listen to lyrics too much, but still, you know, know of them. Yeah. Uh, you get you get the theme, all that sort of stuff. So Yeah. I love that um, it opens with Death on Two Legs, mm. which is basically so they came into this album basically with no money. So they'd been a world which they'd, is bizarre, they'd been hey? a worldwide international hit. They'd had all these hit albums. And it turns out all their contracts gave all their money to their manager slash studio owner. Yeah, yeah. That and that's sucks. not uncommon. Yeah. Especially for that time. I know, so it's they, mad. So they got all fucked off and wrote a song that's basically just how awful this person is. And it's like, ooh, it could be anybody. You don't know who it is. So they set up their own studio, went to a new studio, they got a new manager, they wrote their first song. It's like, ooh, this could be anybody. And then he sued them for making the song about him. Oh. And, but and then they, they like, settled it. Uh, then they settled it. Which is like an acknowledgement. Which basically went into the news that, you know, so it's the Barbara Streisand effect. No one knew this song was about him specifically until, until he sued he them sued. and they were like, yeah, yeah that's about you. And you can have some money. That's fine. You know Go what? away. That kind of tribulation probably added to how staunch they were with the artistic integrity yeah. of it because they sort of went, no, we probably, they probably did compromise on a bunch of things to be able to get to that status, to get to to, uh, to do all of those things and then still come back with nothing. I would have been yeah. pissed off as well. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, Dan sure. Straight, I would have been doing exactly what yeah, I wanted. Yeah, Dan Straight, you're paying for more tape for me to do 10 yeah. vocal takes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the new, that was the new artist though, the new recorded. Yeah, the, the, the new, new studio. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah, but yeah, I just love it. Like, yeah, the first it. single on the, the first song on the first album is basically a fuck off to your to, to the old ones, to the, the old, old ones, ones yeah. and the guy and the, and all the people that they've Storch. worked with, and just like we hate you all, you fucking cronies in suits, and just fucking get out of our way. We hate you all. It's awesome. <laughs> I love it. I I I don't even have that kind of like strength, uh, even when I'm <laughs> singing punk rock songs. Christ. <laughs> Awesome. Um, so this is that first track on side A. Yes, because mm. it is a traditional record. So there's a so side A and side a, a, a is seven. up to seven, and then side B is eight through to twelve. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Good. Just putting it out there because when we do vinyl, <laughs> I think it's when when something originally comes out in vinyl, we always talk about side A to side B. Mm. Yeah. Because the that's how that's all. the journey somebody would go through. Because mm. when you make that. Journey, with that journey from the sofa to the record player to turn it over to have that privilege of turning it over to start playing on the new side like that's a privilege in any home yeah. right it's pr- yeah yeah for sure i yeah. mean mm-hmm. in my case it was just the kid's job yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you never messed see, it up see no. for me i wasn't allowed to for a long time just in case i ruined it which meant that i only knew side a of most albums for a very <laughs> long time <laughs> and i just played side a a lot yeah. so uh, but this one i'd listen to side a and b so hmm. yeah so that's a really good start to an album it's a yeah. fuck you to your previous like yeah. producers and owners and studio managers etc et yeah. yeah wow and then you slide so, straight yeah. into lazing on a sunday afternoon Song. This is the song where you go, okay, this isn't just going to be 12 straightforward songs. <laughs> no, these are going to be 12 yeah, songs that don't sound anything like one yeah. another. No. Apart from the elements that make up Queen. Yeah, not when it's a musical ragtime piano. Yeah, so that's like, like a cabaret, so that's like a cabaret song. Very yeah. cabaret. Yeah. yeah. I, I said carousel. It. it was like a carousel song. Yeah. Like, you yeah. can imagine it being played as you're being taken around with a dainty little horse on a carousel. It's so like 1940s. Yeah. It's funny you say 1940s because I can't remember if it's this track or one of the other tracks later on that's a little bit similar where there was a film clip for it in black and white and it was basically uh, women in their swimming costumes, which I think think was a singlet top almost but yeah obviously still you know down to the knees oh the modesty um, ones the modesty ones yeah. and they yeah. also had the little caps with the little flowers oh, and stuff oh, on yeah. them that might so be good company the really yeah, yeah. The one that sounds like the one of the two yeah i was thinking seaside rendezvous i was thinking seaside rendezvous oh, one of, at the one end of the them. first side yeah. there's another oh, piano yeah, there's cabaret well that was seaside rendezvous got the kazoo and the do 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 that would probably make more sense but then good company also has like that really chipper kind of Vintage lyrics in it, like no one mold I puff my pipe, but no one's there to see. Ponder on and listen all my life's insanity. Take care of those you call your own and keep good company. I know you're like, you're just so chipper, yeah, uh, and adorable, like, and yeah. got the ukulele, ukulele on it. I think yeah, it's... so I was going to say ukulele because I was like, <laughs> ukulele fun time. Because at first I was like, is that a banjo or is that a uke? And then um, then I looked up and went, it was like, May was playing a uke on that. I'm like, yeah, yeah he was. <laughs> I think it's a perfect warning of what to come. I think going from there, death on two legs. And that was kind of, that was really rocky. Like they mm-hmm. did actually open yeah. a lot of shows with that. They used it to really build energy at live shows. And then going back into the pompous yeah. uh, wording, it's, and this was in, the late 70s i think this was yeah, done so, so yeah so yeah. they were they were you know people actually spoke like that mm. and i think that making a reflection of what's actually happening you know their parents probably could have even been in that film clip yeah. so i think it was it's really nice to see them do the rock and then do the extreme other side and then throughout the rest of the album kind of mingle the two so they're yeah. well spoken but even still in their in their um rock goddess songs well they have so many different genres yeah (laughs) they're like we could have one like other people or we could dip our toe in so many genres and just show off the fact that we're bloody good at all of them it's a night at the opera they're giving you a show they're taking you from high to low like not hands up because we're a podcast but out loud jody have you been to an opera 
once, maybe twice. Once I did twice. study a little bit of theatre, so I definitely went a bunch of times. I can't remember what I saw because it was okay. a while ago. Yeah. Okay. Grant, have you been to an opera? A real, like... No, I don't believe that. No? Liam, have you been to a real opera? I don't think so. My dad's a huge opera person, but I don't think he's ever taken us. They give you subtitles usually they, as yeah, well. Yeah, they do. They all have yeah. those, like a running across the top. So I've been to many an opera and operetta which is similar to an opera but it's like a between an opera and a musical um and this listening to this album is genuinely a night at an opera or mm. a night at an operetta more more so yeah i yeah. think so more operetta. Yeah. more operetta and i was just couldn't i was like overwhelmed by it when i was like li- listening to it with my fresh ears um, <laughs> oh, well, the phrase it pays tonight <laughs> with my fresh ears yeah so- the thing I loved about Lazy on a Sunday Afternoon is Brian May gets to do a guitar solo. It's really short and it's right at the end, mm-hmm. but it's like a total acoustic cabaret. You're looking at a singer and then here's this guy doing a power rock, like just a, a short little riff. And this this carries all the way through. So, so many of the different songs are different genres. And normally you'd go, I've, we've had this in the past where it's been too wide and too varied. And it's like, oh no, the genres don't really work together. But there are elements that hang all the way through this album. And one of them is obviously Freddie Mercury's personality and his vocals. But the other one is May's guitar solos. Because no matter what kind of style song they play, he finds a way to wedge to get a guitar solo and you can feel it's him doing its thing, which I just blows my mind every time. Well, yeah, because he does most of them, doesn't he? Yeah. I think it's just yeah. like one that he doesn't do and that's mm. so one he's not lead. Brian May's dad was actually a luthier. So ah. a lot of the weird and wonderful Lucy's instruments that make, you hear. Yeah. Um, yeah, Forgive me, his Lucy's. dad made it. So he makes his dad made guitars, um, and and yeah. wooden stringed instruments. So a lot of those weird and wacky, wonderful things that you hear, his dad actually, um, yeah, made. And he'd he'd grown up playing, so it's it's not it's not strange to to that musician to just pick up this thing that no one's ever heard of, or, or it's in this tuning, or, or yeah. it's got this shape. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I think he'd been working with those kinds of stringed instruments since day dot. And I think that's one of the reasons it lends itself so well when he does a solo mm. to anything that yeah. Freddie Mercury or, or any of the other songwriters on this album. And there are four songwriters. They're mm-hmm. famously quoted as saying, you know, we wrote this album, but there's four songwriters and we constantly mm-hmm. bicker about who got yeah. to have a song <laughs> on, on whatever they were recording. So they, that's, that's amazing. That's the thing. Like he's one of the, he's an amazing guitar player. And if you yes. were going to say, Oh, we're going to have a bunch of songs that don't really depend on the guitar. You'd be like, well, I don't really know what I'm doing here. You know, I could be doing something else. But it's like, no, no, you, you'll get a chance to shine on nearly every song. Yeah. We're just going to make it in a way that works for the songs themselves. And very modest and humble as well about mm. his ability. Oh, cool. That's awesome. So I mean, I've never met him, but I've just seen him <laughs> interviews and stuff. Do you not have like a coffee around the corner? I wish. <laughs> I wish indeed. Yeah, that's a really beautiful song. Um, yeah, and uh, it's also got lovely ooze in it, mm-hmm. like really sweet ooze that like soothes you into the, re- the album just to go, okay, we've had the ominous, sexy death on two legs and now we're doing the smooth, sweet, and I and again, I love a good ooh. Um, <laughs> I, I love a good harmonized ooh. And mm. uh, Mercury does it so beautifully. Mm. And while they all do it, they yeah. all join in. They do it so beautifully. The thing that helps tie this album together is those oohs. So they've got a very specific way in which they record their um, or recorded their group vocals. So what they would do, and it had a little bit to do with, I think, um, the money and the tape that they had to use. Mm -hmm. So they would all get together and they would all sing the bass note. And then they would all sing. So all four of them would then sing the third above or whatever note they wanted to do. And they would layer it up that way. So when you hear a queen harmony, you hear it and you know it's queen because that's exactly how they did 
um, a lot of those harmonies mm. all of the time. And that's how they built it up and made it sound so much more full than other places. Yeah. That's a really gorgeous way of doing it. Oh, and so good. it says good. a lot about the cohesion of a band. Yeah. And patience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and patience. But no, but like being in a band, sometimes it can be conflicting. Sure. And so for you to all join forces to create something, you've obviously, you're completely impassioned by it and you're on board yeah. and you're doing it. That's a really Very committed. Thing. Yeah. And high caliber as well, because if you're singing the same note as Freddie Mercury next to you, you can't be flat. Yeah. He <laughs> sang so well that occasionally there were reports of him actually sign waving himself out of his own duplicate note that he right. would sing so uh he'd have to sort of redo it or um that's so beautiful um and you out singing opera singers and stuff in the studio as yeah. well that sort of thing so but yeah that's another thing that's helpful is that they used some similar techniques the whole way through on these different sounding genre songs mm. and i grew up with relative pitch which means that i'm awful to go to an orchestra with because if one violin is out of tune I can tell you and I can tell you which I can look at them and say that violin's out of tune or they're not playing it right or whatever and it's a, a horrible place to be but listening to this record was like taking Valium it was just this soothing calm beautiful thing where I was like I don't have to worry that any of these notes are going to be misplaced in any way yeah so nice it's a really good it's a really nice place to be for somebody with with an affliction like relative pitch or so i don't have perfect perfect pitch is where you can literally pick the note out um relative pitch is where you can say you are out of tune with something else mm. so i've got relative pitch which makes me really bad to be in a band with i think that so two comments i think that you can learn perfect pitch mm -hmm. because um i did have i was i was almost there when i was studying a lot of music in high school um and then uh, relative pitch is just going to piss you off regardless. But <laughs> yeah. um, a helpful tool is alcohol. So <laughs> oh, you get a I'm little there. bit more lazy. Just, um, you, like, well, like, you can hear it, but you don't care so much. <laughs> my, my tool was getting into punk music. Yes. And then yes. going, fuck it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. 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 Everything's a little True bit story. off. Yeah. Like, forcing With intent. When oh. I, I taught myself violin and, went, and I got so frustrated and I had to force myself to accept that sometimes it wasn't perfect. Yeah, so, but listening, as I said, coming back to this record, like, you can tell that everything they did was exactly correct. Yeah. Did you use any of these songs to help you learn your instruments? Uh, no, actually, I didn't. Um, I used random things to learn my instruments because my parents are both musicians and they were both incredibly good at their craft. So one violin, one guitar. And so they left their instruments around that I could play, but they refused to teach me. Aww. because they thought it would be too painful to go teach somebody from scratch when they were so accomplished in their own. So I taught myself violin, but this will pain you. because um, So my father was also a Lutheran, so he would build... He would build guitars. Oh, did I say it wrong? I said Luthier. It's Lutheran. No, Lutheran. Yeah, I think, okay. we're, both, I think, I think we're both fine. Um, he was also like he would build guitars and he taught me how to build guitars and how to do the, Sick. how to like create a fretboard using a protractor, uh, a compass and a protractor and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so I was like, it was like a serious business. Um, but he refused to teach me guitar. And my mother was a first violinist in the London Philharmonic um, Orchestra. And she refused to teach me violin because it would be too difficult to teach a child. So um, <laughs> I had to pick up their instrument and I tuned my violin like a guitar which is very wrong. Um, <laughs> and I taught myself by ear how to play a whole bunch of things like Ben Folds 5, like accompaniments and stuff like that. You could have played a um, mandolin. I could have. Same tuning. Uh, yeah, I, oh, I should have, uh, but I didn't. Anyway, not, not as <laughs> we anyway, have got a album. big <laughs> freaking <laughs> fucking album to talk so, about. Grant, did you have any favourite songs on the album that we haven't touched on already? 39.
And if it sounds like they've made the band movie, then maybe in That's a few years' time someone it. can make the him movie. Yeah, I mean, he's a he's a massive part of that band. Yeah, um, obviously. Um, but um, and, and there's you know, there's a but and the, the party, some of the partying stuff is is obviously in there and all the rest mm. of it, and, and is the, the from was the Princess it. Diana story in there? I don't remember that specifically. No. Which one's that? I don't know how much girth that would have had on the band itself. Fair. Never mind. Well, that would have been fun. Live Aid would have been quite prominent in the movie, I assume. The Live Pardon Aid Bennett. The Live Aid Bennett. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, I think it wraps up. Yeah. Yeah. That's the climax. That's the it? climax. Yeah. 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 That's um, cool. But it was, yeah, it's certainly from, you know, we, we um, in South Africa, I think that one of the, and they didn't touch on this, is they actually toured, I think, in a place called Sun City, much to sort of Europe's. Know, disdain um, in in pre-apartheid. It was still during apartheid. Forgive me. And they they, they went for the cash, mm. like it was a cash grab. Yeah. And they went in there and um, uh, like it's remote, it's a couple of hours out of Joburg. You fl- they flew in, they did this concert, and they flew out. And that um, that isn't reflected at all. Um, but probably the, what what was in the in the in the early nineties was the fact that he had AIDS. That what that's what got what like brought more awareness to us in South Africa. With an HIV problem and an AIDS problem, it's like, whoa, like, mm. Freddie's got this, and you know, all the rest of it. Um, anyway, we've digressed and digressed and digressed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There you go. The we movie think- I would recommend, I would recommend. Okay, cool. okay. Sure. So, well, we can go with Open Minds. Yeah. yeah, we can go with Open Minds. Fair enough. Um, so, George, you're holding up two pages of notes. Yes. So I, I have I've a got feeling you've pages. got something to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had notes about everything, but um, side B. Yeah. Starts with the, the prophet, prophet song, song mm. which is fucking beautiful. Yeah. Uh, I can see where all that money went on the loop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sure. has the softest opening of all the tracks, and it using and it also uses the um, so I think May's playing guitar and is using the um, strings and the headstock rather than just uh, using the strings on the main part of the guitar, just to make that real twinkly sound. And it's something that only a guitarist would usually hear. It's just that bling, placebo used it a lot, um, incidentally. But then it goes into this like ominous driving guitars and drums and unrelenting vocals. And it had lyrics of... goes into half the songs basically a cappella yeah, loop vocal ca- ah. vocal canon <laughs> second half for like five minutes yeah yeah I can't believe they did that in 75. Yeah. And I can't believe it cost a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe it, yeah. And then at the end, it goes, Brian May gets a power vote. Yeah, gets a power goes, for the end. Yeah, this then it the goes epic like and then quiet again. Here comes Brian's part. Okay, awesome. Um, so, when they were picking, when they were doing all the recording, Bohemian Rhapsody, they were like, Bohemian Rhapsody will be the first single. And they always said, oh, we didn't actually record it to be a single. We were just like, oh, it's a pretty cool song. Maybe it'll be a single. When they were deciding what was going to be the single, Prophet Song was the other option they were thinking about releasing as a single. Wow. Okay. And they were told, they just love oh, yeah. Your six minute yeah, song. Yeah, they were seeking it at the time, I your think. Your six minute song is probably a bit too long for you for a single with Bohemian Rhapsody. It's like, well, this one goes to eight and a half minutes and has a five minute vocal breakdown. It's so, eight and a half minutes. Yeah. 821, yeah. I happily loved yeah. Oh, my goodness. I loved every damn second of that. That's why right? there's only five tracks on the, la- on the yeah. second well, song. Yeah, because I, one of them goes I for eight and a half, one of them goes for seven. 
You know what? I thought it was only five tracks because it was Bohemian Rhapsody, but then I realized that was only like, what, six, six minutes? minutes? Yeah, and it's a dwarf compared to... It's a baby. And <laughs> you listen to Bohemian Rhapsody, and because it goes through about 15 different songs yeah. in one song, yeah. you're like, this is clearly 20 minutes so long. So it's traditionally a, considered a through-composed song, so it never really comes back to the same chorus. Mm-hmm. You don't go verse, chorus, bridge, no. all mm. that sort of stuff. And mm-hmm. it was the first um, pop through-composed song to ever make it to a number one on a Billboard chart as well. Nice. Oh, man. See that? So Bohemian Rhapsody is where they go, you're at the fucking opera. Yes. (laughs) Sure. But also I found out looking this up is that there's no women in the vocal parts. I see a little silhouette of a man. Scaramouche, Scaramouche, will you do the bandango? Thunderbolt and lightning, very, very frightening me. Galileo. 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 No, those really high it's, falsettos. It's just the four, are, it's just the four of yeah, them doing different pieces. Yeah, it's the four boys. And that's what I was saying. Yeah. yeah, so those really, really high falsettos are um, Roger Taylor, the drummer. Mm-hmm. So it's not Freddie that's doing those really yeah. high Yeah, I always assumed pitched. it was like a whole chorus of women and men doing a whole big choir thing. No, yeah. no. It's just no, the four of them no, looping no, their shit together. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's what I mean. So there's the four of them singing that first note and then the four. So by the time they've got their five-part harmony done, yeah. they've got 20 parts. Yeah. So mm. it is technically a choir, but they've just you know, one of the first bands to really, really get into using that tape and that looping system mm. and, and playing with some of those recording techniques. Yeah. Because mm. Love of My Life, which is after a prophet song, uh, has sounds almost like a classical piece of music Yeah. Mm. to begin with. Like it's got that operatic orations and it's really beautiful. I call it the precursor to Bohemian Rhapsody because the, the pre- piano melody is quite yeah, similar. Totally, totally. Yeah. I'm there. I've got I'm there. I'm piano pieces uh, similar to Bohemian Rhapsody. It's like a premise. It's like a warm up. Like, yeah, definitely. So um there's interludes Pre-season. as well. Like uh, all the different instruments get their time, like in a jazz band, you know, where every instrument gets its time to sound big and set and shine. Um and it's like such a gorgeously composed piece of music. I really reflect on Love of My Life uh, to try and remember how to write a song. It was one of the first songs that I really wrote all the chords out to and wrote all of the lyrics out to and really, really studied. And, and um, yeah, I just think it's beautiful. I think it's definitely one of my favourites on this album. Because there's heart. And, it's on, and the, it's on the movie as well. Oh, oh good. Spoiler alert. Really to this movie to me. Uh, but there's harps. Let's have a go. Harps and a double bass. It's yeah. like they went, wrote it. In preempt ten years before I was born, <laughs> just so they they could write this song for me. He was really kind of them. Sure, let's go ahead. <laughs> but double bass, with, but with a bow by the sounds of it as well, which is really gorgeous. So yeah, it's a, a really interesting like like instrumental Pete. Like oh man, yeah. So <laughs> someone else talk. Just to jump back, Bohemian Rhapsody. It's the most streamed song of the twentieth century. So. That ended in 1999. So of all the songs released in 1999 before, it's the most streamed one, uh, exceeding Smells Like Teen Spirit and Sweet Child of Mine. When one, was Wayne's World released? That would have been 96 or yeah, yeah. something. So this is still low. So it's most streamed song right now. Oh, okay. But For of any song that was released in 1999 Yeah, or yeah, before, sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, 1.6 billion downloads and 1 billion YouTube views, the first pre-90s song to do so. So obviously stuff that came out right away skyrocketed to a billion really quickly, but of all the older stuff that ended up getting up there, this is the number one. Unsurprised. No, yeah, that's completely... It's like a song that I'm sure if we had the time between us, we could definitely sing the whole fucking thing. (laughs) And much to the disappointment of all listeners. Yeah. (laughs) So let's let's not, but... But What a great theory. And it got two Grammy Award nominations for Best Pop Vocal Performance by a Duo Group or Chorus and Best Arrangement for Vocals, for Voices. Yeah. Which it only got because I assume no one listened to the Prophet song because the the Prophet (laughs) song is like taking what they do with arrangement of voices and standing it to the next level but obviously it was an yeah. eight minute song that no one had heard, I'll raise so. you I'll see you yeah yeah <laughs> him in and I'll raise you yeah that's fair. and you wonder how much it's great on, on reflection it's how much of it was a brinkmanship or gamesmanship to say oh you you know if, if you don't like Bohemian well we actually yeah. think that this is the better one you know well, I see you six minutes and I'm going to raise yeah. you two and a half you know? but I can imagine it'd be really interesting to go I've heard Bohemian Rhapsody that's interesting that's such a an eclectic, beautiful song. I'm going to buy the album, 
what the fuck just happened? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think that's a big question for sure. Yeah, because like I know I listened to it when I was younger, and then I've gone for a big gap of not listening to it, and then I listened again, and I was just like, pick a genre. Oh my goodness, you can do them all. Um, and yeah, like if they they just put their mind to it they can play everything beautifully yeah. and mm. it makes sense that may can pick up any stringed instrument and just go yeah nailed it i can play the harp on this i'll play the ukulele on another and but i'm also a damn good lead guitarist and don't you forget it yeah but still always with like yeah they can jump genres across but you can still go like if you heard any given song mm-hmm. just randomly on your on your shuffle or whatever you just go that's queen song even if you even if you didn't well, know the, the song, it's like you would just Carson go, oh, yeah, and I Brian May. Yeah, like who else would you say if they hit a note? Yeah, you know it's those people. Yeah, and I don't, I don't, know, I can't think of any other. Also, I go, yes, yeah, I know who it is. Mm-hmm. And and May and Santana are probably the only two that I mm-hmm. could think of. Well, they do get a little bit psychedelic, and I think a lot of the other bands that were into really intricate songwriting and uh, you know some some awkward time signatures for the mm-hmm. time weren't really into classical stringed instruments they were ELO they were Pink Floyd they were using the electric version they were getting into pedals and I think that um one of the really romantic things about uh Queen is that they really did kind of stick with a lot of that acoustic stuff for a long time and especially on this album Mm. I think uh, I totally agree I think it's really beautiful that they did that because they've created something which makes you feel for the whole thing even like i feel happy or i feel like in like introspective or mm. i feel something mm. throughout the or i feel very confused yeah. and that's fine too i think it was really aptly titled yeah. as well yes mm. i would agree with you even though it's not opera or live you're not live yeah i kept coming back to um musicals like not necessarily full <laughs> operas but like gilbert and sullivan style musicals yeah. lots but of you know sort of what in there a lot of those tracks could be musical tracks. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. They could you could plot put them in a Gilbert and Sullivan mm. musical and you'll be done. Yeah. yeah easy. Um, and the fact that they've got the breadth of musical knowledge and ability to do something that can sound like a rock opera and something that can sound like an operetta and something that sounds like a musical and something that sounds like a pop song. Yeah. All in one album, you're like, Yeah, okay, you know your shit. Well mm-hmm. done. Well done for leaving your old management and yeah getting something out that really means something to you. I think it's a beautiful aspect to rock as well. If you're a rock and roll band or if you're a rock band, um, you really can play into and lean into a lot of those other genres without Mm -hmm. too much snootiness about influence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Um, Mm. Grant, George, any final other thoughts you want to throw in there? Um, I really love, I'm in love with my car Mm. (laughs) because it's got this gorgeous choir sound with this lovely refrain and then it does this chug chug sound uh and a solo and then ends on a dreamscape and you're like (laughs) okay i'm just gonna i'm gonna and you're singing about a car fine i I don't i don't even care (laughs) if it's a real car or if you're just using the car as some kind of like like what's the word like it's not pseudonym like um phallic symbol well i wasn't gonna go that way <laughs> but yeah you're using it as like a symbolism. symbolism of something else like i don't even care if it's symbolism i no, just i think beautifully I love yeah it was the just that he really loved his yeah, car and so it was roger taylor mm-hmm. that did it the drummer so you just loved that. his car i think loved so his, i think he played on top gear he can own it <laughs> yeah. i think oh, i think it was about one of their audio takes of somebody who had like a really Oldsmobile sort of car that really loved it. And he was like, oh, and they kept giving him crap. Like, oh, you're in love with your car. And I'm like, yeah, I love my car. I love so my car so much. It. I'm going to write a song about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but that was the B-side to Bohemian Rhapsody. Ah. And they fought over that because uh, Roger Taylor got half of the performance rights because for every single sold, oh, wow. it, was his, oh, it was Bohemian Rhapsody and his song. So he, because he wrote it, he got half the money yeah. from Bohemian Rhapsody all to himself. Yeah, and oh. that was a really common theme throughout a lot of the releases when they started to make that money and get it yeah. was that they were all songwriters and so there was a lot of uh, tumultuous feelings around whether or not, you know, and it, it's, it was a second layer. It wasn't whether or not the songs went together or whether or not they were going to sell them. It was about the band politics of, mm. well, how, how come he gets all that money when we're selling Bohemian Rhapsody? And that, yeah. that was recurring. I think um, through a you know from that moment on, 
uh, through a lot of their other tracks that did really well and albums. That's yeah. a shame. Oh, That's it's a not shame. a shame, but it's good that they were at a point where they were getting those royalties now. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's up to the band to discuss who gets what percentage as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's true. I think that's why it's sometimes a good thing. You see a lot of bands, the songs are just written by band and then they can just yeah. go into that and go, okay, and from this we'll split it four ways or someone will get tend to get more yeah. of this. Well, you kind of have to put it, even in Australia, even our dodgy little punk bands, you know, we have to kind of have that discussion yeah. of, you know, sure. do you, and we don't make anything. And you, you can't, and you it can't all have goes it after it's the, happening either. You've got to have it before. Account. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So, yeah, and then we have to talk about the ending. We do. So we have Bohemian Rhapsody, which like kicks us in the face, yeah. um, which like which is fair enough. And then we've got God Save the Queen, right? Yes. Where you're like, what are you going to do with this? Yeah. Oh, you're literally playing God Save the Queen. Okay, fair enough, because you are the Queen, and I'm sure this is ironic as fuck. Yeah. And you're going to play it on an electric guitar, yeah. and we're all going to hear you playing it in that way because that's like both honourable and also a bit of a. I see what you did there. Yeah. Um, like, we are queen, we're at the opera, and we're fi- finalising this glorious piece with this song. Yeah. And I actually, I thought at first that I'd be like, oh, man, how can you not end it on Rhapsody, right? And then I listened to it again with my fresh ears uh, <laughs> and went, no, this is correct. I approve. I think it was really clever. I think it was a little bit tactical um, in that they did tour a bit. And I think coming from England was one of the selling points. It's like this this band's come all the way from England. Um, they did play it a lot in their live shows and it, it's super tongue-in-cheek. And it's <laughs> I always love seeing uh, a, a band reference where they're from um, and make some kind of comment about that, but a, but a unique one and done through music, you know what I mean? Like they're not... Sex Pistols did it pretty you yeah. know, blatantly, yeah. but I thought this was like quite tasteful and quite quirky and quite clever. Mm. And they did play it at a lot of their shows and or, and sometimes open with it. Cool. Awesome. Good on them. Yeah. <laughs> Jody, over to you for the final pitch. Oh my God. Did I can talk about this album. I can talk underwater <laughs> anyway, but um, so final pitch. Um, look, it is a dated album as much as it's a timeless album. It definitely came from a time and a place and I think that you can definitely hear that. Um, I really uh, love that it was rehashed in Wayne's World and I do often wonder uh, what, how successful they would be with their with their streaming and if how often mm-hmm. people would still listen to it and how well their best of albums would have yeah. sold had it not been rehashed in a pop culture film. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm so glad that it was. Um, and I think at the end of the day it might not have made too much difference anyway. I think this is I think this album is a part of our Western canon as we know it. There's not really anyone who doesn't know Queen. They might as well be the Mcdonald's of <laughs> the music world. Um, and oh, I think I think call. it's true. It that. is. It's a better big than call. McDonald's. Yeah. Oh, better than McDonald's. But in as terms far of as brand ubiquity, maybe. as far as you know, uh, branding, people knowing the name, people knowing exactly what it is, what they sort of did and stood for. Yeah. Um, I think that this uh, album, as which was their third, which I always traditionally thought was their first. Fourth, sorry, yeah. yeah. Um, Really, really did good things for them and I think Mm. it did good things for uh, rock music in general. I think it lifted the genre so people in other bands could be successful while experimenting. I think there's probably, if you look into it, a lot of bands that struggled trying to do similar things but didn't quite do it in such a clever way or have the name behind them to be able to sort of succeed in it. So I think that not only is it a wonderful album, I think it's actually opened up uh, the genre of rock music for other musicians to succeed and experiment and and try new instruments and, and try new things and experiment with the recording process and and not be afraid to say fuck you to someone who's who's dicking them over you know so i think um there's there's a lot lot of wonderful things about this album and my final word is um if you haven't listened to it start to finish you may or may not love it but it's probably worth a go anyway just because it's a it's a bit of a staple cool yeah uh george we're going to start with you oh thumbs up or thumbs down on a night of the opera i would say 43 minutes damn well spent (laughs) this album is epic and um yeah it's quite difficult to follow jody's um description but um i 
couldn't skip a damn thing. I am filled with joy and excitement and love and everything. When you listen to the record, it, you just can't help it. Um, I would go, there's nothing I would skip for a start. Um, I enjoy the fact that I'm, they don't just go, we're half a band at the beginning and half a band at the second, you know, like we're folksy and then we're rocky or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's, you're taken on this beautiful dramatic journey from the very ominous start to the very epic end like you can't fault something like this so i damn well thumbs up will say that this is a flawless bloody record yeah awesome. come on there <laughs> <laughs> nice. you go yes you two guys are speak mellifluously don't you yeah. wow Jeez. I've been right. holding back on the sea bombs. Over to you. Oh, <laughs> and then I'll bring it crashing down. <laughs> uh, I am, um, in terms of 43 minutes and, and, and worth a listen, absolutely. This, however, for me, is a highly, highly contextual album. And we've come back to this, and it's, it's a, it is a constant theme. Um, but, like, uh, th- this... It's, it's a credit to their range as artists. Wow, musicianship and, and live at the opera. It's not live and that still gets me. And it's not nearly opera, but that also gets me. And I'm just a blunt African shore. Um, but I, it's, I, it's a night at the opera. It's not live at the opera. Sorry, a night. We keep saying live. It's, yeah, yeah, you saying. do. You keep, <laughs> I don't know why. Night. Forgive night. me. We, I think we all do. Um, and, and there are elements of it, I suppose, that are, are really um, did resonate with me. And, and you know, of course, the hits were great. Uh, or, or the singles, two singles, You're My Best Friend and, and Bohemian Rhapsody. 39, again, also was was absolutely awesome for me. But I thought it sort of just me, I thought there was a bit of meandering. And um, I, I put myself in that band shoes and you, you've come from literally years worth of hell and crap from one recording studio. And I thought it was a little bit of like a, a double F you to both sides, like the old boys and the new guys we're doing our own thing now and we don't really care. Mm-hmm. And we're going to put in our 8 minute 21 profit song and it's on and you're just going to deal with it. And so you loved it, I suppose, the profit song in particular. I did. And I was like, wow, this like, is this going to keep going? And it does. <laughs> going. Um, and I and wanted it to keep going. Sure, sure. Um, but is it worth a listen and to get uh, what, what, I, what I enjoyed, I suppose, was researching how this one came about and and why it was what, you know, the relevance of it i think that would there would probably be, be there, there are probably better queen albums out there in totality but your context and where you heard it and how every christmas you have the song and you'll listen to it together as a family that is sensational and that you know that warms my heart and it warms your heart so um i'm going to say no but it's a great album to listen to and it's really awesome for you so thanks for bringing it Nice. Just nightmare. out of interest, what would you have picked? Oh, I wouldn't. Oh, I see. Unfortunately, I've only I've only listened, literally listened to the two best ofs. Yeah, and right. those are piecemeal. You know, and and we've got a, a very, it's a very strict rule, mm-hmm. Johnny, that there are no best ofs. Yes, yes, okay? I've heard. <laughs> and, and, and and rightly so. So yeah. I, I wouldn't actually I couldn't actually tell you. Yeah, right. Um, but I, but I, I suppose I, I would think that there would be more more than two singles off other albums around on either end of of this. Um, I didn't really look at Sheer Heart Attack, which is the third one. And I think, and it's a theory of mine, but sort of your third or fourth album, and I've only say I'll reference The Gunners, which we didn't get across the line, <laughs> by the way. That, that sort of mid, the third, fourth, fifth, you almost go, you know, there's this chip on both shoulders. You're perfectly stable because you've got chips on both shoulders. Um, and I almost felt like this was the album where they're sort of like, mm, you know, where are we? And brilliant musicians, but are you really hitting your straps um, for mine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I couldn't, great question, but I, I, I don't know. Okay. Okay. Cool. Mr. Liam. Mr. Liam. Um, like if you describe this album in words, you, you just go, nah, that doesn't work. Like <laughs> an album that's like, it's part cabaret, it's part musical, it's part heavy rock, it's part like Rick Ocasek Cars sort of rock stuff. Like it's just, it should be all over the place, but all the elements just come together and tie it in together really well. And it's just, like I said, it's just, 
it's my first Queen album and I'm already thinking like this is such the perfect Queen album. Like it just represents all the different facets of what they are and what they can do. Knowing all the shit they went through to do like tape looping. Like yeah, if we if someone put out the proper song today, you'd be like, whatever. You sat down with Pro Tools and spent five minutes and suddenly you've got a song. But Like everything, everything. Yeah. <laughs> knowing all the shit that you, they had to go through. The only slight, my only slight thing was the last song. I really think if you've got Bohemian Rhapsody, that's either your first song or your last song. But it wasn't. You'd open, you would thought you could open with it. I think you could you could have opened with it, or you could or you if it's going to be in no, the second okay. half, it's got to be the last song on the the album. But I would I gave it a thumbs up. I thought it was flawless. Yay! I didn't. I didn't oh, think it was, <laughs> geez, there I, you it go. Almost the, the Queen, like staunch Republican here, but obviously God Save the Queen is tongue in cheek, and that's themselves as well. So it's not just them saying, "Hey, we like the Queen" or anything. So yeah, it's. I think it would have been stronger if they'd ended with Bohemian Rhapsody, but that wouldn't have been enough for me to say it wasn't flawless. It's just, and I don't. The other thing is like it's. Um, you talked about how the it got that revival in nineteen in the nineties. Um, we listened to the remastered version in two thousand eleven, and you've got to imagine if it hadn't had that flare up in the nineties, they just wouldn't have bothered putting out a remastered version in two thousand eleven because you'd you'd just be like, well, it's just an album from the seventies that had two singles and no one really knows that they've mean, got a best of. That's tricky to say because if that was true, they probably would have remastered it at the time that those movies were out. Yeah, possibly. But I mean, the remastering stuff is much more advanced by 2011 than it was back then. Yeah. Well, so. mm-hmm. But yeah, beautifully well produced, all put together. Such a perfect vision, like just a band who... There must have been so many people or there could have been so many people telling them, no, that won't work, no, this won't work just write eight rock songs and you'll be fine. And they just went, nah, fuck that. We know what we can do and we know what we're going to do and put it you together. You know what? They probably did write two or three other albums around about the same yeah. time but oh. ended up going with these tracks because cool. it is a little bit of a conceptual album, you know mm. what I mean? They have titled mm-hmm. it Night of the Opera. They did close it with God Save the Queen. They did do their um, their weird looping vocal <laughs> takes and their, their um, they really started to do those huge uh, choral sounding harmonies. So I think it's um, it's it's a, yeah, it's a themed album mm. and it's just dawned on me actually um a night at the proms so there's a whole the proms back in the uk is a really big orchestral event that happens over a period of time and i they finish on jerusalem and then god save the queen so it would make perfect sense and they do every year yeah it would right. make perfect sense for a night at the opera to finish on god save the queen yeah just for that, <laughs> that would and wouldn't they on reflection in 1975 as they did in south africa when TV shut down for the night, have played the national anthem. Absolutely. Which I think almost all nation states would have done. So, so yeah. yeah. Cool. What, sort a, of what an excursion we've just Whoa. had. <laughs> oh. So, there Jody, thank yes. you very much for bringing the album. Thank oh. you, Jody. Quite get line, but we'll, we'll get it next time. We want to thank everybody for listening. We have Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and we are Flawless AMP on all of those. So check us out, leave us a rating, give us a like, leave us a comment. Every little bit you do helps us to find more music lovers like you. Uh, we also have our Patreon that I mentioned at the start, patreon.com slash flawlessamp. So check us out there if you can. Other than that, thanks everyone for listening and we will see you next time. Yay!